Support the Amigos podcast and keep the Amiga goodness flowing for just a dollar a month. Visit our page at patreon.com slash Amigos podcast. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John Bodovkar Schaller. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And uh, we are going to cover that classic Psygnosis shooter this week, Blood Money. But before we do, uh, we've got some feedback to go over. All right. Uh, this was a great week for feedback. Um, Dreamcatcher, our favorite gangsta from Manchester, um, wrote in and talked about the controls on cannon fodder on various ports. Um, and uh, I asked him, I said, well, you know, he talked about the, the Super Nintendo version. I think we mentioned that too. Right. And uh, I was sure that there was no mouse support. Uh, for the Super Nintendo version. And just like most things I'm sure about, it turned out to be completely true. Uh, you are false. Uh, what? There is a... Uh, <laughs> Even your truths are false. Exactly. There is a um, there is mouse support for the Super Nintendo version of Cannon Fodder. Um, is, or, that, is it that paint mouse? Is that the, Yeah, the Mario uh, paint mouse. Yeah, I, uh, I wondered about that. Yeah. It, it was one of the few games to support it, but it, it's great. Um, and then the D-pad is also available to use, and you basically, you know, you move your mouse with the D-pad mm-hmm. as you I do. bet the mouse adds a lot, though. I mean, that's a lucky break that they had. To, I wonder how many people actually took advantage of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, the uh, Now, he talked about the mobile version, and uh, and he said that, you know, he said that what you have to do is you have to rotate a cursor through a 360-degree plane until it's pointing in the direction you want to walk, and then press another button to move forwards. You can only fire the direction that you're facing. So it sounds terrible. And he said, well, maybe that's why there's not an, uh, you know, an iOS or an Android port. What, what was this? Now, what the version he's talking about, the portable version, was for what? This is an original mobile games port, like Symbian. Um, like pre-smartphone gaming. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And so if you can imagine one of those tiny Nokia screens yeah. and uh, and controlling your men with that little cursor that you used to, or the, the little four-way at the top of the phone that you used to get, that just doesn't sound like a good time. Of course, these, were, these weren't touch screens we're talking <laughs> no, about. No, so maybe no. with touch screen, you have a little, it'd be a little bit easier. Yeah, I think that you, know, you could make something now where yeah. it would be just like Diablo. You touch where you want to go, and, and you go there. So... Um, but uh, he he said that there are Symbian um, emulators available, uh, and uh, so if we ever want to check out that port, uh, we we are totally free <laughs> to do I'll, so. Uh, I'll get right on that. <laughs> uh, Anthony Becker wrote in, and uh, we had a, a nice little talk on the blog about uh, woes of connecting an Amiga 500 to. Uh, a modern, or in this case, not so modern uh, television. Um, and uh, he talked about, he used to have this thing called a C-View adapter. All right. Letter C-View adapter. And uh, it was another, it was like the A520, except I guess it didn't stick out as far. It was no. a third-party deal. Right. And I immediately became interested and, and wondered, you know, where can I get one of these? And he says he's never seen one come up on eBay. It's funny you should mention it, because I, I, I've never heard of that. I always wondered if someone would make these. It seemed like a no-brainer to me. But I, I, I swear to you... Everyone I know that had a 500 had a 520, 
and there was no uh, in between. So yeah, it's it's odd, and even it seems like even today you see all these third these uh, Amiga hardware that's being made today. There's still a lot of five hundreds out there. I mean, they could use something a cheap alternative. Yeah, you'd think that you know somebody. I mean. We've got all of these Kickstarters for, you know, Amiga case molding, Amiga documentaries. I swear I saw probably the seventh Kickstarter for a new Amiga documentary. Right, which people, is great, by the way. People need to channel those uh, documentary-making urges into engineering skills. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I had a fella. Um, there's, a, there's a fella I, I talked to on uh, Google Plus that put, shows these videos of this Amiga 600 that they've got with this souped-up, I think it's like I called a, a dragon or or viper. It might be viper. It's an accelerator. But I think we mentioned it one time, many many shows ago. And this thing is this Amiga 600 is playing MP3s. I mean, it, it's doing everything. It's mm-hmm. all crazy stuff. Awesome. You know, I'd love to have one. But that seems so much more complex than video out on a right, 500. Right. You know, and just a little something. So I'm calling it out right there. If anyone's got that kind of prowess, it, there's there's free money right there. Uh, yeah. And he said that, you know, he included the C-View monitor with his 500 when he sold it. But he sold it back in the 90s. And he's like, you know, we'll have all these 1084s forever. You know, or we'll have, or, you know, we'll have these Amiga monitors. They'll last forever. You know, back in the 90s you thought that. But now they're dying left yeah. and right. Mine died, as you know. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, and he says that he still has a C-View adapter for his 2000, which he picked up later on. Right. Um, but they go in uh, through the video slot, not, right. the, not the RGB connector. And the, I'm getting, usually you took a look for these things, you can't find them. I anymore. looked. No I surprise. Looked, yeah, I couldn't even find, you know, a um, regular internet stuff. And it was probably because C-View is such a generic term. Yeah. Google doesn't know what you mean by C, so... But um, he also talked about another A520 type box. This is one that I actually found online, but I couldn't find any on eBay. Uh, it's called the VIP. Have you heard about this? It's that's a pretty generic. I don't think yeah. it doesn't. It didn't, I don't <laughs> Again, it's not a then. term that yields great search results. Um, but it uh, it actually gives you an S video out oh. out of that. So it's pretty cool. Um, and a lot he said that he says keep in mind a lot of gen locks, especially with external sliders. Uh, so you don't need software controls to switch the output to the Amiga will also work. Okay. So uh, and he says that the Super Gen is the one that's able. You're able to pick up one of those that will give you what you want for less than an A520 on eBay these days. Mm, we have to have a look at that. Yeah. Then. So we may. We may look I at have that. Uh, attempted surgical repairs for a 520. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm not confident. Um, the uh, the next big piece of news that happened uh i i if you've paid attention to any amiga boards uh this past week you'll have seen that the amiga os 3.1 source code was leaked yes i did see that and of course these discussions always start the same way they always start with somebody coming on saying hey this was leaked and then the internet combines enraged to say well this has been out there since whatever then the original poster says but this is different and then nobody really does anything with it because the source code is not really something unless you have technical knowledge you know you can't just dump it into an exe and run it you know uh so that was you know i read several of the threads uh it's worth you know it's worth talking about because it is new amiga news um, but you know this source, uh, this source code is still under copyright. You know the OS is still under copyright, and uh, so is this. Who owns? Is this Galanto? It's Hyperion. Okay. Hyperion owns it, and uh, so meddle with it at your own risk. Um, <laughs> wow, promoting. <laughs> um, 
The next, uh, we have a, a melancholy happy trails this week to uh, founding member of the band Motorhead. Lenny. Yes, yes. And of course, we're mentioning this on the Amiga podcast because of the Amiga game Motorhead. Yes. Um, Motorhead, uh, this game was, uh, this is from a report that I read on something called Niche Gamer. And uh, what they've done is uh, the developer, I guess, or maybe not the developer, maybe just some guy, uh, has converted and released this game for the PC, and it's free, uh, in honor of Lemmy. So if you ever wanted to play Motorhead and you don't have an Amiga nearby, but you've got a PC, you can download the PC version and... uh, and play it in honor of Lemmy. Honestly, I've never I've never played uh, any version of this or seen them. We might have to. We might have to. This would have been a great week to do it if yeah, we would have thought about if it. I, but, if we'd known about it. <laughs> yeah. I, but hey, uh, I loved Lemmy. I'm a big Motorhead fan. And uh, we'll have to check it out somewhere down the line. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little bit of... We've got a couple different uh, hardware picks this week. But I found one that I thought was worth mentioning before we dive into our our big hardware review of the Amiga 3000. This is a thing called the Kira, K-E-Y-R-A-H, version 2. Are you familiar with the Kira? I'm not even familiar with version 1, but (laughs) please enlighten me. Well, this is something that I've always thought would be cool to exist, and it turns out it does exist, (laughs) because we live in the modern world. Um, What the Kira does is it allows you to connect the keyboard of a classic computer system to a modern PC. So say you've got, you know, an old Commodore and the the, the motherboard's bad, but the, the keyboard's still good. Well, you can take out the motherboard, put in a Raspberry Pi, connect the Kira to the Raspberry Pi on one end and the Commodore keyboard on the other end and use that vintage keyboard just as you would a modern, you know, USB keyboard on, you know, your system. How how odd! <laughs> so you would have a C sixty four as a keyboard, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you take out the guts of a C sixty four, you replace it with a Raspberry Pi running a C sixty four emulator. Oh, I see what you're saying. I understand. And okay. you get all the aesthetics of the classic machine. You're giving me a weird look. Uh, you lost me somewhere. So go through this again. Okay, so pretend like you've got a. C64, and it's bad. It doesn't okay, work. Bad C, okay, okay. which I do have one. Okay. You take out the motherboard. Okay. You've got a lot of space left over in All there. All right, yeah. You've still got the keyboard. Right. You've disconnected the keyboard from the motherboard. Yeah. Okay. You take your Raspberry Pi or whatever small form factor PC you want. Yeah. You boot it, you, you load it up with an emulator. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. You put that into the body of your C64. Uh-huh. Then you plug the Kira into the Raspberry Pi. Then you plug oh, the cable from your keyboard into the Kira. Okay. You can use the keyboard of your C64 with the Raspberry Pi, and no one will ever know that it's not a real C64. I see. And, and uh, this works on more than just the C64? Yeah, it works for the following systems. It works for all the C64s, the VIC-20, the 128, everybody's favorite, the 16. Uh, works with the Commodore <laughs> Plus 4, the Amiga 1200, and 600. Hmm. And so you can plug a, you can essentially use this as a motherboard replacement. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a big fan of using the original hardware whenever possible. And uh, and sometimes you can get a good deal on a broken machine. You know, and Raspberry Pis are so cheap these days. 
you just swap out the motherboard with, with you know one loaded up with goodies and go to town. And what what does one of these little things cost? That is a question that I do not know the answer to. Because I, it occur, it occurs to me that uh, a C64 can be picked up for a pittance, yeah. for example. So yeah. it might not be cost-effective. to go. Um, you know, they, I think that it's it, it might be less about the cost-effectiveness and more about having an all-in-one solution. It's, know, inter- that, it's that an interesting. On your desk. It's interesting. I will say that, and, and, and it's an interface solution. Yeah, it reminds me sort of the arcade solution we use with the USB. It's exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. So um, that is something that I that interested me. So I thought I'd put it in there. Uh, we've also got uh, Minecraft. Are you familiar with Minecraft? My son plays. Uh, my uh, you know uh, my other family members play. I've not played it, so I, I know it by sight. That's about all I know. Well. If you ever get into MorphOS, Minecraft is being developed for MorphOS. Oh, okay. Uh, there is a limited amount of information available. Uh, this is coming from the developer's blog. His name is Yom Gui, ah. uh, and he is French, but he does have an English page, uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. He's got some screenshots up. It looks like Minecraft, you know? Great. So uh, That'll that, make a lot of people happy, I yeah, think. Yeah, so uh, that's coming up. Um, and that really is the the end of our our news segment. Do you have any any Amiga nope, news I this think, week? I think you caught it all, but all right. Well, let's jump into the hardware. Yeah, I'm interested to hear this myself. All right, uh, the Amiga 3000 was the the fourth release of an Amiga computer. Uh, it was released in June 1990, and uh, it had it it was basically uh, you know the first new Amiga model since the release. Of course, there were different versions, uh, the 1000, the 500, and the 2000. They all shared the same you know, system architecture, and even though they were available at wildly different price points, they really gave you almost the same amount of performance within, the, you know, within, within that chipset. Mm. Um, but the, the 3000, it was a vast improvement over the previous models. Um, it had more speed, better graphics, new and improved operating system. So pretty much everything that they could put in an ad, uh, you know, they, they put in there. Um, it had a uh, Motorola 32-bit. This is the 030 chipset, the 68030. Oh, yeah, very nice. Um, and uh, it's got a 68882 math processor, 32-bit system memory. Um, and uh, I'm going to read some words that I don't understand, but I'm going to read them. Uh, the 32-bit system memory helped increase the integer processing speed by a factor of 5 to 18. So the numbers got bigger, which I guess is better. <laughs> I'm sure the math co helped on a lot of that, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it said the floating point processing speed uh, increased by a factor of 7 to up to 200 times. Mm. So certain things were 200 times faster on this machine, which is pretty good. Um so uh, the, this also launched with the new version of Workbench, Workbench 2.04. Right. Um, it's got, uh, you know, it looked a lot better, obviously, you know, jumping from 1985 to 1990. It's a light year in terms it, of, of computers. It was, it was a substantially better OS, there's no doubt about it. And it was not just more functional, but more cosmetically pleasing. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, the UI was better. Yeah. Um, now, Commodore had a licensing agreement with AT&T to include a port of Unix System 5, uh, huh. which was available on a special model of the Amiga 3000, the 3000 UX. Wow. I wonder I wonder how many of those got put out, because I've never heard of that. I can guarantee you that's a collector's item yeah. these days. Yeah, wow. If anyone's got one of those that's listing this, drop us a line. <laughs> I'm interested <laughs> to hear how you got that. 
Um, and of course, the the big thing that Amiga fans know about the three thousand going forward is that it it shipped with the ECS. Yes. Uh, the enhanced chipset, and this was a custom graphics architecture that gave you some new graphics modes. Uh, you had all these these new resolutions: uh, 640 by 960, 1280 by 512, and this is the funniest one: 1008 by 1024. Still used today? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, and that's I mean, think about that though: a thousand by 1024. I my last computer, heck, my current laptop doesn't run at that resolution. I think my current laptop is ten twenty four by seven sixty eight. <laughs> to be fair, no computer runs at that resolution now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's it, yeah, I mean, if, if you consider the time that this was put out, that was incredible. Yeah, um, and uh, now, I mean, VGA was ten twenty. Well, the was uh, what was it? You had uh, uh, six forty by four eighty mm-hmm. was VGA. And if you consider what that is, a crush is VGA, and VGA was around probably that was pretty much the contemporary of that. Right. Um, the uh, and it says that the uh, the three thousand graphics performance was up to three point three times faster than previous models. Um, so uh, there was uh, a huge thing, as we're seeing with our continued travails with the five hundred. Uh, they they included a built-in scan doubler and deinterlacing circuit. So uh, it it modified the standard 15 kilohertz video signal to 31 kilohertz, so you could use a VGA, a regular PC VGA monitor. Um, It also functions as a uh, flicker fixer, so you don't have to deal with all of that headache like you had. Which which we have to deal with. (laughs) Yeah, And we'll be dealing with a lot on your machine. and uh, this is this was also the first Amiga that has uh, that had a built-in hard drive controller, um, and uh, apparently you could hook up to seven internal and external SCSI devices. Yeah, that was the SCSI limitation for that for that era. Yeah, um, you can install up to four expansion cards on the A three thousand, and they actually install horizontally yes. instead of vertically, which is. <laughs> Unique. <laughs> yeah, we. I briefly had a three thousand, my brother, and we and we took the cards out of it. And it was, I'd say, it's the first time I'd gotten into one. And it was, being a PC guy for a long time. It reminded me, if you're an old old school PC guy, uh, back in the day, a, a company called Packard Bell used to use these things called riser cards that would come out of the uh, one slot in the motherboard. It would have these horizontal car or horizontal cards like the Amiga. It was the same kind of weird setup. It was <laughs> it was odd, oddball. Yeah, yeah. Um, and three different expansion slots, types of expansion slots, are in the three thousand. Can you name them all? I know Zorro, Zorro two. Um, I don't. What's the third? Well, there's the, oh, there's a PC slot and a P, yep, PCI that's right. slot. Yeah, yeah, an ISA slot. Oh, it was an ISA slot. I was jumping ahead too far. Yeah. And the Zorro 2 and 3. Apparently, Zorro 1 had been left behind. Zorro 1. Hey, <laughs> when you've got Zorro 1, Zorro 2 is better. And hey, why not throw Zorro 3 in? And then finally, you had an Amiga video slot. Right. So those were the three types. Um, let's see. Uh, now, what did you, when you had the 3000, did you take advantage of any of these expansion modules? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, we were, we were had it on loan effectively. And we were just—I hate to say this—but we were parting it out at this point. It, 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 the one we had had a video toaster set up in it that we, that we removed for a fella because we had some Amiga knowledge, and the fella had no Amiga knowledge. I know a little bit about the Zor. I know the PC slot you could use, I, uh, you know, ISA PC cards in, uh, uh, eh, with varying degrees of success. Uh, and then the Zoro slots were—they were just the. 
You know, the one thing about the 3000 that always struck out, now, I could never, I was didn't have the money to get one. I mean, they were very expensive machines, but I always thought they were underutilized because most of what came out for the Amiga were was games, game-related stuff, the stuff that I cared about. I mean, there was other stuff, you know, scale and, and video stuff, but your average user didn't care about. And so, much like any other PC, you're going to have to make your stuff to the lowest common denominator, which was... A lot of times it was the OCS. Eventually, it would, the ECS became more popular. But uh, I'm not sure the 3000 really ever fulfilled its, its full potential, at least as a gaming machine, just because the Amiga's blessing was its curse and its compatibility was its blessing. Now, like as you know, compatibility was difficult, but you could usually achieve it through some rigmarole. You know, 3000 was no different. Uh, but uh, it probably never touched where it could have been. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it came with, uh, you know, a bunch of connectors. Of course, two DE9 ports for joysticks, mice. Um, came with a uh, RS-232 serial port and a parallel port. Uh, so you could plug in pretty much anything you wanted, you know, um, whether you had, you know, modem or, you know, MIDI interface or whatever. Um, now, the, uh, the 3000 was not on the market for too long. Uh, in fact, they were already starting to prototype its uh, replacement called the 3000 plus which was going to come with uh, an AGA chipset uh, it made it to the prototype stage in 1991 uh, of course they also sold the towerized uh, variant uh, the 3000T now did, did the did the prototype 3000 ever the plus I'm, I've never seen one of those is that something that got released I don't well I don't think so because what happened was uh, Commodore replaced uh, the the three thousand six months before they they were supposed to apparently in the fall of ninety two with the uh, with the four thousand right which did have the AGA yeah and that boy I wanted one of those so bad <laughs> back in the day <laughs> that was the Cadillac of the Amiga yeah for sure. you know it's funny I, I I had a friend who had a bunch of Amigas and he always used his two thousand before his three thousand and I always asked him why and it was ease of use and and compatibility was a big thing mm-hmm. you know again I'm I'm not a person that ever had a three but apparently it could be a trial to get your software to run, you know, on one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so uh, it shipped with uh, either there were two configurations. Uh, you could either get sixteen or twenty-five megahertz, um, and two megabytes of RAM. So a pretty good amount of RAM for, you, for that time. And 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 the and the speed, if you consider the seven point one four that your other Amigas ran at, you're Doubling or tripling, I mean, that would be awesome (laughs) at the time. Uh, One thing that I didn't look up, and maybe we'll just do a uh, a kind of a segment on a future episode, is the original purchase price of the uh, the $3,000. Without knowing a specific price, I I mean, I recall it being, you know, $3,200 or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was was high dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, it was was the expensive, and it never really came down. You know, to be honest with you, even as Amiga was flopping over, because at that point people started, professionals needed them for various things, and so they were still in demand. But uh, you know, it was expensive. It 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 was not meant for the low end mark, that's for sure. Right. Um, so anyway, that's uh, you know that's just a, a little bit about the three thousand. Uh, you know, Aaron and I we're not technical hardware wizards. But, you know, we, we try and bring you what we can uh, whenever we do these. And uh, if you have anything to add, if there's anything important about the 3000 that we've left out, just drop us a line on the blog, and we'll mention it in the next episode. Or if you had one, I'd like to hear your experiences. Like I said, it was 
out of my price range and most of my friends' price range. So really, I never got to tool around with one a whole lot. So if you had one, have any interesting stories about it, drop us a line. All right. It's time. It's time for the main event. Blood money. You gotta say it right, Bo. Get in there. Blood money. <laughs> no, no, what? No, no, no. 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 Blood. Oh yeah, that's the that's one. Yoda. What was what was what was that from? That was from some game. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were having a seizure. <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes! All right, I'm gonna give it a shot. Here we go. First, there was menace. <laughs> yeah. Blade <laughs> close, close enough, folks. Oh my gosh! He sounds like a demented father. You can't bear, sound. You can't says. sound evil, can you? It's no, not it's, your personality. It's difficult for me to sound evil. Um. So uh, anyway, Blood Money. This is a uh, side-scrolling shooter uh, developed by DMA Design. So uh, we've done a couple DMA Design games uh, so far. Uh, the latest one we did was Lemmings. Uh, and as we mentioned in the Lemmings uh, podcast, uh, Lemmings was actually, it came from one of the designs for uh, this, This was it for Menace or was it for this game? Well, I know Walker came out of this. It was this. Walker, yeah. that's right. The uh, the Walkers that are that appear on the on the first level, actually, mm-hmm. are, are, are you know, end up being pretty much the same as the Walker in, in that game, which we haven't covered that yet. Someday we'll get into that one. But uh, this this game's got has got Psygnosis written all over it. <laughs> it's yeah. got it's all their trademark stuff. <laughs> you know, cool cover, the the cool music, yep. cool intro, incredibly difficult, <laughs> <laughs> Un- unbeatable, and, and, and relentlessly a pain to play. Yes. Yeah. Um, it came out in '89, and uh, <laughs> it was released almost simultaneously for the Amiga, the ST, and DOS. I think they worked on these all those ports at once. Yeah. It seems like I read. And uh, then it came out in 1994 for the C64. There's some other ports, too, that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so, uh, Psygnosis, uh, if you aren't aware of Psygnosis, uh, they were a very long-lived publisher. Do you know when uh, they finally closed up shop? It was just a few years ago, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, 2012. I mean, it, well, they were they turned into uh, Rockstar... Well, you're, you're getting your, your people confused. DMA turned into Rockstar. Oh, that's right, right, right. Uh, Psygnosis. They were Sony. Yeah, 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 they were Sony. And they're both in England. Uh, Rockstar ended up in uh, in Leeds, and uh, Psygnosis is over in uh, Liverpool. That's where they were. And there's still a studio operating out of their old site. It's just no longer known as Psygnosis. Um But uh, so what are some of the what are some of the hits? What are some of your favorite Psygnosis games, Aaron? You know, believe it or not, I actually like this quite a bit. I, um, this is probably your favorite one. It's it? not. Oh, uh, oh. It's probably no. I like uh, you know, their games. They're all really hard. It's true. I like Shadow of the Beast three a lot. I know people didn't like that one as much, but it was a little more playable. It was puzzly. I liked Awesome. I like that was a cool game. Um, I liked uh, Killing Game Show. I thought it was fun. You know, but one thing about their game, I like the original Shadow of the Beast. I mean, all their games had atmosphere, they had great music, they had awesome art. It's just that there were variable, there were varying degrees of how much you could play them. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is just, this may be the hardest one. <laughs> I don't know, Shadow of the Beast and this, they're right neck and neck. 
Um, this was the sequel to, um, well, I don't know if it was really a sequel, but it was, they started this game right after, um, they finished Menace. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much is a sequel. I mean, I, I would say, I would call it a sequel. Well, yeah. they start out with the game with first there was Menace. Yes. So that's, it's, um, and, uh, but they, um, you know, the, I feel like the game, um, I don't know. You know, it would be interesting to talk to somebody who is really good at it to figure out, you know, exactly where they turn the corner or if this is just one of those games that you just have to play and play and play to get better at it. Well, I've played it for years, and I've never completed a level. <laughs> so, I will say, you know, when I, when my first exposure to this game, um, it was at a friend's house. He fired it up, and the opening for this game is is it the best opening in the history of any Amiga game? It may be. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. The uh, the music is awesome. I love the tune. You were talking last week about Cannon Fodder having the most iconic song. I think this has it. Always my all-time favorite Amiga song. Um, the, uh, the, the opening where the ship goes through the asteroids. He comes down on the planet. The moon hones in the view, you know. Damn, that's cool. I remember thinking, holy... And I, you know, I was a PC guy. I was just like, sweet Georgia Brown, this is the best thing I ever saw. Mm-hmm. It does not get any better. I can't wait to play this game. And then the game screen comes up. You know, you insert the disc. And it's got... And those tiles rotate real smooth. You're like, wow, this is oozing with style. And then you start the game. But once you start the game, you realize it doesn't have a jack squat thing to <laughs> do with that opening. <laughs> And the opening was so cool. And I always thought to myself, why didn't they make that a game? Mm-hmm. That was so awesome. Well, you know, they did what they did. Now, that much said, if you judge Blood Money on its own merits, um, it's an interesting shooter. It, it's, uh, <laughs> I like all the concepts behind it. The, I, like the, I like the way uh, the enemies look. The art is good. But uh, I like how you upgrade your ship. You know, you've got... I like the fact that you can choose your level, which that's something else you can do. And you know, and I think with Shadow of the Beast three, you can pick your level that you start off. That way, if you get sick and killed on one level, you can go get brutalized on the other <laughs> level. You know, yeah, uh, you start out with four levels visible on the screen, <clears throat> yeah. but you can only you can only choose uh, two of them, right? And I I suppose that once you beat you know the other levels that those levels are able to be accessed. I think you have to have X amount of money to mm-hmm. get to those levels to open those levels up. I, uh, I, I like I said, I've never beaten this game. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, close. you have to you have to beat a level to return to that screen, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and and I watched. It's one of the few games I watched one of the long plays on, and they had to cheat to get, <laughs> to get it in. <laughs> And these levels are, are, you know, I didn't, I never knew how long the levels were. It's a lot like Turrican too. It's like and just this never-ending, you know, 15, 20-minute level. Mm-hmm. Each one is huge. Yeah. And I thought to myself, who sat around to design these things? Mm-hmm. You know, it would just take forever. The placement and stuff of the stuff, good Lord. And there is, um, you know, they, they do try and make things easier on you. Of course, you know, with money being in the title, you, you collect money from various enemies that you defeat, and they do have equipment that you can buy. But there is no, um, you can buy extra lives, but you can't buy any sort of an upgrade uh, for your life bar itself. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and the sad thing is you could stock your, your ship fully up and then 
leave the store, get murdered, and then you have nothing. Right. And you, all your you money's lose gone. everything right away. Uh, <laughs> that's very frustrating. <laughs> and the stores aren't always in the easiest place to get to. No. So you might lose a couple lives trying to park. There's been plenty of times where I see the store and I just cruise right on by because I know I'll never be able to get <laughs> out of it. Um, and a lot of times, too, I'll exit the store and I'll forget how I exit and I'll immediately push down and then right into the wall and it's over. Yeah, this game's on a hard scroll. And what that, I mean, it's, it forces you along. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like, I don't know, like scramble or something, just where the screen is going one way, and you're going to go that way. You have no choice in the matter. And on when you're going up and down, especially when the uh, when the door, there's a little door that opens and closes. A lot of times when you're exiting downward or upward in a level, you better be ready. Because when it's that, time to go down, you you're going down. Yeah. You know, and there's there's nothing else to it. I liked uh, I liked the money-eating Alien thing that with a little head mm-hmm. or whatever you would. I thought that was a cute, annoying thing. Is <laughs> oh, uh, you know, it's funny because I streamed that and I never figured that out. I was like, this guy isn't hurting me. Yeah, he takes What's all your money. On? Okay. Uh, another thing I like. Now I will say this game is a lot better with two players, two simultaneous players, because you're fighting over that money. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting in there, and you, also you're. There are plenty of parts of the levels where you have to shoot something to manipulate it so you can fit through it. You can screw your buddy if you want to. Now. <laughs> Me and my brother used to play this, and we pretty much perpetually hate each other. <laughs> and so we would screw each other at all points. But it's so pointless to do that because the game is so hard right. that the game is screwing you. You don't really need the help of your assistant to help you. And really, there's no effort of teamwork that makes the game easier. I mean, really. It makes you wonder why they included a two-player mode. You know, well, at least They should have at least put a friendly fire mode in or something. That uh, that allowed you to uh, you know cooperate. Well, I mean, you're not shooting each other, but you're, what you're doing is a lot of the problem with the game is the obstacles. It's not really the you can shoot most of what's coming. Mm-hmm. It's just that those the scroll is brutal in this game, and and the obstacles when you have to did you get far enough to where you had to shoot the the little revolving oh, yeah. doors? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I watched other levels where you had to shoot stones out of the way or parts of the wall to make room for yourself and, and there's a pixel of difference between your ship mm-hmm. you know in the top not it's, to mention the hitbox for those revolving doors is also quite small you know you've got to hit it just in the right spot to get it to even rotate yes and then you've got to do another one so you can fit through another issue with this game is the fact that you can't touch the floor ceiling right brutal and when you do touch the floor so believe it or not this game has a life bar mm-hmm. but it goes so fast why is it there? Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> it is exactly what was going through my head. You know, if you want to, you, you said it perfectly. You know, why? Why it should have just been one hit kills. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a the game is too hard. <laughs> I mean, that's let's face, let's call it what it is. It's it's a game that I mean, I, I would like to meet the man that could get off any level. You know, none of my friends could ever do it. And I mean, I played with some pretty decently skilled guys. We never got off a single level. So if it wasn't for YouTube. I would never seen the ending of this game <laughs> or known anything else. I will say they, they managed to pack a lot onto two discs. Uh, and obviously, it's huge. The uh, well, the, the, the intro was probably the, the demo whole first took bit. like a <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when you switch, you know. Uh, the uh, uh, like I said, the music was great. The guy that did the music is a guy named Ray Norrish. Uh, he did a few other games, including Killing Game Show, which was like I said, had an awesome soundtrack. The guys that did the graphics and, and the and the coding in this, they're familiar guys. Uh, the coder was named Dave Jones. He did Lemmings, Holiday Lemmings, Oh No More Lemmings. Those are the big titles he did. And Menace, of course. And then the, the guy that did the graphics did uh, Menace, 
Oh, no more lemmings. You know, so it's a, kind of that, that those guys. That pedigree. Right, right. So uh, um, they did good stuff. The, mu- the musician, he did some good, a couple other good things. But, I mean, graphically, musically, this game had everything you needed with the gameplay. It wasn't even the controls. The controls are pretty good. I thought your ship was a little bit jumpy. It could have been a little smoother. Yeah, especially when you're down there by the floor and you're trying to get low enough to get underneath those revolving doors at the beginning of the first level. It almost made me want analog controls. Something smoother. I mean, I, I don't know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the joystick wasn't quite getting it done. Mm-hmm. And the ship, something else, the ship is pretty large. And depending on what you're flying. Now, if you're if you're the jetpack guy, it's pretty small. But the other things are pretty large. And... And the bad guys are huge a lot of times, and so it, it's just tough to dodge. Yeah, you know, and spikes will come out of the ground and they'll take up three quarters of the screen. You know, it's it's a brutal game. Yeah, it's a brutal game. But like I said, it's two players. It's a lot of fun. You know, for a little while. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just it's just too difficult, boat yeah. for me for an old man. I agree. Um. So anyway, uh, score time. I'm interested because you said you've played this game for years, and so I'm wondering. You know. I didn't say I was good at it for years. Oh, by the way, before I forget, eBay. I looked oh, yeah, this up. Yeah, sorry. Um, the uh, this one's going for. It's not hard, easy to find in the U.S. Good luck. Overseas, you might have a chance. Uh, I saw the full box going from between thirty-six and eighty bucks. Wow. Amiga. I didn't look up anything else. Um, in the U.K., you can get the discs shipped. Around 60, 16 bucks U.S. That's just the discs. Uh, also, just for fun, I, I like the the box art on this. It's really bizarre. Did you see the box art on? Yeah. It? Mm-hmm. It's based. I didn't know this. Apparently, maybe it's common knowledge, but it's a uh, it's it was a a fellow named Peter Andrew Jones. He did a lot of illustrations for science fiction books, mm-hmm. I guess, in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And this was a cover he drew for a book called. Uh, Protector. Yeah, so you knew about that. Have you ever read this book? It's no, from Niven, I, I, Larry it, Niven. It apparently, the Wikipedia page on Protectors is vast. So oh, apparently, really? it's a well-known series. Well, I think Larry Niven's a pretty big yeah, name. Yeah, he's a big guy. You know, in in uh, uh, in in that era of, of fiction, mm-hmm. I think I wonder. I've been anything that a lot of these psychosis games take their. Didn't we do another one that took their um, uh, box art from a from a book cover? Yeah, the, Psygnosis is a game called like Pod something, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that one's a book cover. They, a lot of their stuff, they just which hey, it's not the stupidest thing. Yeah, do, I mean know? those those '70s sci-fi book covers, I love them. Uh, yeah, that's you know uh, one of my favorite board games, Race for the Galaxy, is basically an homage to that art style. Oh yeah, yeah. I know that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, did you look at? Did you have to look up any reviews on this to see how it did? The game reviewed pretty much like we reviewed it. The reviews were not great, but they were not poor. Um, they the biggest thing was that they cited the difficulty as being the major stumbling block. Yeah, uh, there were some complaints about the music, not the intro music, but the actual music that plays when the, you're in like the, the game. And, you know, it's weird. It's another game where you can't have music and sound effects. Mm-hmm. And I like that music that plays. It's, it's you know, it's it's an interesting tune. But I mean, I always want the sound effects. I yeah, used to turn it off, and it does just play over and over yeah. again. And so, and I noticed that it played through every level. Oh, okay. So apparently, this is. You're stuck with it. Well, I'm guessing Mr. Norris. He did when well, he basically did his big song at the beginning, and then <laughs> he was out. out. And I also read that he had uh, that song he'd made with uh, with the Amiga tracking uh, uh, software we talked about. Uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, 
Uh, and I even found a web page, and we'll put a link to it up on our on our on our site. Uh, there's a I don't know if you ever heard of this boat. It's called WhoSampled.com. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's a web page where they go through these games that are or any song that has samples in it, and they list all places the samples came from. Huh. And and they've got a listing for Ray Norrish, Blood Money. I look through them. Of course, they're just other songs, right. you know. But so if you're interested in looking those up, we'll put a. We'll put a link up. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, Again, because yeah. for me, the song and the opening are way more than just the game. Mm-hmm. That's why I like the game so much. I used to just watch the opening and yeah, then move on. Play, go play something else, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Anyway, scores. Um, I did not have any of my previous scores saved. I will say this is not the best I've done, but it's the best I could do. It was uh, 21-150. Wow. Well, you did a lot better than I did. I only managed to score 7,600. Oh, so you you didn't get very far on the... Which level? Did you go to the sub-level or to get that? Or that did you was, to, no, that was on the first level. Well, you could choose, though, between the yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I I compared my scores from both, and I did, oh, I I did better in, in the first level. I so, am the man, then. You reign supreme. Who we'll, knew? We'll see once you're under the pressure of the bright <laughs> lights of the live stream. Well, I should have brought my I should have brought my joystick of doom with me. But we'll give it a shot. Multiplayer too. That'll be fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and one other thing I forgot is that uh, the game was was really successful. It sold forty thousand copies, which for an Amiga game, you're doing well if you so, if you could ship that many copies. How many of those copies were strictly for tech demo purposes? <laughs> The for the for computer show, rooms, you, know, you know, it's someone just setting that up and just playing that opening over and over. Yeah, and I, again, I'm still waiting for that to be a game. So, Psygnosis Two or whoever is out there, get it going. Where's the Kickstarter for that? Yeah. Um, so next week, uh, what do you want to play? Well, I've pondered this. I went over in my head what we haven't done for a while. And I thought we haven't had a car game for a while. So, Stunt Car Racer. All right, I think would be an excellent choice. That sounds good. Um, we'll do Stunt Car Racer next week. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. We've got a new sponsor this week. Oh, uh, Chad Halstead is uh, our newest uh, uh, Amigos sponsor. Uh, we've also got Brent Dowdy and uh, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage to thank. As always, if you'd like to support the Amigos, uh, just head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Amigos Podcast. I'd also like to give a shout out to oldcomputers.net. Uh, for their write-up of the 3,000. That was the most readable account of the 3,000 I could find, and a lot of the facts that I uh, talked about during the hardware segment came directly from that write-up. They're, they're, uh, that's a good site. I, I've been there quite a few times, yeah. Yeah. Um, and thanks to the sponsors, too. We really appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finally, <laughs> just as a fun thing at the end of the podcast, uh, this also came from Dreamcatcher. This is a scan of a Daily Star. Are you aware of the Daily Star? Uh, no. I believe this is a Rupert Murdoch uh, tabloid. It's reputable. Yeah. <laughs> beyond reproach in any way. In the um, in the uh, in the UK, and um, this is a, an article about cannon fodder, and the headline reads: "Poppy game insult to our war dead." Oh boy! And as you can see, there's a cover of Amiga Power. And uh, there's a big censored sticker over what I assume is the poppy on the the, the title screen of Cannon Fodder. Shameful, it says. <laughs> yeah. Shameful. You know, I was, uh, we, I was talking to Boat last week during the live stream, and we forgot to mention this, but as far as I know, this, uh, the Cannon Fodder is still a, on the banned list in Germany. You know, so if anyone in Germany knows any different, I'd be, but for, as far as I can tell, which, you know, it's, Again, we sort of touched on this last week, but how strange a sort of a, I mean, in a lot of ways, an anti-war game gets mm-hmm. crushed. Now, I know that much said the poppy is a 
a, is, a, is a very big symbol of yeah. the war. And I, we understand that. But, you know, it's interesting to see both sides. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's outstanding, though. And uh, if you want to check over at the uh, Amigos uh, thread on the English Amiga board, I had a nice talk with uh, Dreamcatcher about the significance of the poppy. And, you know, he talked about, you know, if you're a celebrity and you forget to wear one or whatever on Remembrance Day, then uh, you're lambasted in the uh, in the community. It's a good thing here in the United States we don't have such trivialities with our politicians <laughs> yeah. and entertainment figures. And all, and all of our media outlets are on the t- our top shelf without any problems. <laughs> so anyway, just a little, uh, just a little uh, something fun for the end of the episode. Thanks, Dreamcatcher, for that. Yep, and thank you. Um, we'll be uh, recording the live stream here 2-4. And uh, until next week, we'll see you then. Adios. Adios.